one of the undertapped areas of opportunity are the value-added services that can be achieved through the monetization of data. Not just the direct monetization or the resale monetization of data, but the opportunities that understanding how the data serves as a value-added service for a customer. Welcome to Technovation. I'm your host, Peter High. My guest today is Todd Cackley. Todd's the Chief Information Officer of Textron, a 100-year-old industrial conglomerate that leverages a global network of aircraft, defense, industrial, and finance businesses to provide customers with innovative solutions, earning in excess of $13 billion in annual revenue. Todd has been in role for a bit less than half a year, but he's been with the company since 2008. He's held multiple Divisional Chief Information Officer roles across Textron before ascending to the Global CIO post. I look forward to hearing more about his creative use of digital twins, his perspectives on the value one can derive from generative artificial intelligence, and the role his team is playing in forging a better connected business, among other topics we're sure to cover. Todd, welcome to Technovation. It's great to speak with you today. Great to speak to you as well, Peter. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure. Uh, well, Todd, why don't we begin with your business, Textron, if you wouldn't mind just taking a few minutes and providing uh, a bit more of an overview as to the business you're in. I'd, I'd appreciate that. Absolutely. I I certainly appreciate you highlighting that we're a 100-year-old company. We just celebrated our 100-year anniversary this year, in fact. Many, at first glance, don't recognize Textron by the name, but uh, we're certainly very well known for our powerful brands. Uh, a number of those brands include EasyGo Golf Cars, Bell Helicopter, uh, Cessna Beechcraft Airplanes, and uh, uh, a long list. And, and throughout our 100 years history, we've been largely a, a conglomerate, multi-industry conglomerate. We are currently um, about a, a mix of largely aerospace and defense and um, commercial businesses, and uh, continue to focus on the uh, future of aerospace and defense as a predominant piece of our growth. But um, yeah, it's it's a it's a very interesting business, balanced business, uh, and very uh, in, much enjoyed my time here. And take a moment, if you would, and talk a bit about your role as CIO. What's within your purview as Chief Information Officer, Todd? So you mentioned uh, a little less than a half a year in the role. Um, in my 15 plus years at Textron, I've held a number of roles, but uh, more recently, the global uh, CIO. Prior to that, I held uh, divisional CIO uh, roles at uh, different businesses across our aerospace and defense portfolio. I was the CIO of our Textron Systems business, which was predominantly defense. And then uh, more recently, the divisional CIO of Bell, uh, which um, is known for both commercial and military helicopter vertical lift. In June of this year, I assumed the role of Textron Global CIO. And in this role, I lead the Information Management Council, which is uh, comprised of all of our divisional CIOs. I lead uh, the strategy for uh, IT. Um, I support the enterprise vision relative to the goals and objectives of IT and represent the, the, the function at, at our senior level leader, uh, senior leader level of the organization as well. Um, and it's, it's um, as an enterprise global CIO, I have the entire uh, role and responsibility of all of the, uh, the function of information technology roll up to me, my responsibility here. So. New and exciting, a, diff a little different than a divisional CIO. Um, it's a mix of both supporting uh, enterprise leverage and some of the shared services functionality here, and also providing a lot of the guidance and leadership to our IT strategies and talent strategies across IT at the, our, our business units as well. 
Yeah, great overview. And I wonder, you you talked about that uh, role you have in leading the, the Information Management Council, the various chief information officers at the divisional level. You were one of those uh, multiple times over, of course. Um, can you talk a bit about, given the diversity of the businesses you've described, uh, how those different CIOs collaborate with each other? Uh, and, and I'm sure, of course, with your guidance and counsel along the way, there must be certain aspects of, of what they do that is unique naturally to their business versus other things that are shared uh, across the organization. And I wonder how you think yeah. about the balance between those. That's an interesting question. One of the uniqueness, I'm, I'm not sure it's entirely unique to our uh, conglomerate, our business like ourselves, but um, as a previously as a divisional CIO, I, I certainly appreciated the ability to have some autonomy as a divisional CIO in regards to helping shape the strategy each of our businesses really run as separate PLs, and they have, you know, while we all roll up to the same objective, you know, really drive our shareholder value at the Textron level. Individually, our products and our challenges are un are, are so somewhat unique to those business lines, and the the role of IT and the role that IT plays at those businesses could drive different strategies at different points in time relative to growth of those businesses, customer input, and so forth, and the type of you know, the automotive cycles where you're building hundreds of gas tanks a day versus a few hundred helicopters a year are two different types of cycles of businesses. But um, the, the the Information Management Council uh, certainly seeks to leverage uh, our shared uh, resources, shared infrastructure, shared policy, shared uh, goals and objectives at the higher level of IT. Uh, and some of those are really focused on growing our business, operating with excellence, uh, living secure and succeeding with our people, but there is a there is a I would say a federal versus state type of analogy here where we we have a healthy level of autonomy at our businesses that allow them to really be closer to the the objectives of those business unit leaders and driving that that agenda and and, and those those strategies while looking to share and, and leverage um, uh, opportunities across. The council to make sure that we're we're weighing in on technology. One of the things we have we, we do very well as a function in IT across Textron is we we sh we leverage our talent and our talent strategy across our function, and 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 being able to have common strategies around certain uh, application portfolios or technology stacks allow us to leverage that talent better across our our organization. And having been a uh, divisional chief information officer, Todd, talk a bit about the advantages of now being at your current perch, having held the the roles that uh, that at least partially it sounds like report through to you, um, having gotten to know the business at that level before ascending to your current post. Can you can you reflect on that a bit? Yeah, it's it's interesting. My career actually started um, in in the corporate IT here in the same kind of corporate office that I'm in today in a a different capacity, uh, more around a, uh, a center of excellence or a center of expertise. Uh, so I've had this experience working in the corporate capacity, uh, supporting all of our businesses, having that also that experience going into the, the business. I, I have an appreciation for some of the unique challenges we have leveraging and sharing our, our talent at the enterprise level and also satisfying the um, the demands and, and all the priorities that we need to to, to be able to be successful at the business unit level. And I think what, what I've sought to do in the, in the last uh, four plus months on the job here now 
is to not necessarily come in. We, you know, we had a lot of good cadence around prior leadership relative to our governance model and how we want to operate as a council and how we, we operate effectively to leverage uh, the enterprise and uh, allow the businesses to, to, to work autonomously, not necessarily come up, come in and, and immediately look to, to, to do something disruptive, but to, to look at where we can do, uh, what, what we can do to collaborate and continue to, to seek common leverage. One of the areas that we're, we're really working very closely as a information management council right now is emerging technologies like generative AI and having the opportunity for us to stand back and say, let's not try to solve that problem five different ways. Let's solve that problem once at the enterprise level. And I think having been on the other side of the business, in a business, I can certainly um, represent both sides of uh, the discussion when we're having a discussion with senior leaders around leverage versus the ability to, uh, or the discussion to let somebody go and solve a problem uniquely for their business. And um, I, I think most of the participants on the Information Management Council have also held roles in, in, a, in a corporate capacity as well. So that really makes us very uh, agile, well-versed to be able to collaborate well well together. Well, I appreciate that overview. Very interesting indeed. Uh, and I wonder if you, 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 as you raise the topic of generative AI, certainly one I was hoping to to cover with you anyway, what sorts of conclusions are you drawing across this diverse business as to opportunities that might be common across it versus some of the unique uh, value propositions, at least as you're defining them currently? One of the common themes we're finding is everyone's definition of AI is different depending on who you talk to. And definitely with the the, the emerging capability around generative AI, that's that's really changed the perspective or the, uh, the dialogue or the discussion around what is AI. There's a difference between large language model and cognitive learning models and the the ability to have a, let's say, a chat GPT type of experience securely internally within an organization like ours versus maybe a, a predecessor to that machine learning and, and models. We've, we're a technology company in its underpinning. We've got a lot of uh, innovations. We, you know, autonomy, we've dealt with AI in our products. Um, so we're, we're not unfamiliar with AI. When we're looking at this next level of AI, I think some of the unique opportunities that we're seeing is certainly in the ability for us to bring information to individuals concisely and, and quickly. Uh, good examples are in the services area where we have volumes of records and uh, data around um, servicing product or in areas where we have to generate a lot of content for learning management or for technical publications. Those are areas of opportunity that we're, we're, we're currently exploring. And I think, you know, I was just having this discussion earlier today with our chief technology officer that Usually when you see an innovation like this, there is a time to market where the cost of entry is so high that you, you go through this cycle of you know, early adopters until you get to a point where maybe it gets to uh, a level of affordability or a level of risk mitigation or whatever that you want to adopt. Relatively, the, the, what, what has happened with the open AI experience and the, the boom of GPT 3.5 and 4.0, it's really accelerated the hype and the the immersion of the uh, the awareness of what the potential could be that we're actually seeing senior leaders of our organization pulling us as IT professionals and technologists to go faster because they see the opportunity there um, and it's it's something we're very excited about 
Very interesting. And I, speaking of, of planning, um, you have a strategy that you refer to as the North Star strategy. And I wonder if you can take a moment and provide an overview of the elements of it. Well, that was a concept that I, you know, certainly it's, it's not something unique to me, uh, having a North Star or something to guide you directionally. Uh, one of the things I found when I moved to, to my prior role at, at Bell was that when I asked what was the previous strategy, IT strategy, I got a, a series of, of Gantt charts and roadmaps and saying, here's the, here's the plan. And I had to step back and, you know, really challenge the thinking at the time. This is sort of, this is the outline of what we're going to do and, and, and when we're going to do it, but why and what's, and for what purpose? Uh, so, you know, really, really kind of pushed the, the discussion there a little bit. And, and when we, when we really looked at, you know, a lot of the, what was driving the need for technology there around critical uh, military program wins, things that were shaping us to our future uh, to, to enable a digital enterprise, to enable model-based systems engineering, enable a digital, digital twin of our product, not only of our product, but of our factory floor and of our process and so forth. Um, and the fact that I continue to push the, the discussion around uh, not just selling an aircraft, but selling a, an experience, a, uh, a value-added set of services around that, whether it's a golf car or a, an aircraft, um, customers are looking for more out of that product. They're looking for a connected experience around that product, uh, whether it's vehicle health monitoring or things that provide them more insights about how they're better using the, their asset. Um, so as we looked at all that, it really, the, the North Star really became enabling the model-based enterprise and how we do that. And it was such a big lofty goal that it really wasn't something you can turn around and say, and then we're going to do these five projects and we'll be done. It had to be something that, that you really kept trying to push yourself towards, that you really checked your priorities at the door when people would come up with new ideas, or we need to go do this, or this is a technology we should introduce, that you had to reference it back to that North Star. Is that getting us closer to that North Star? Does it detract us from it? Is, is it going to, is it going to prevent us from going faster? And so, those were, you know, those were kind of the directional, big, big notional goals and objectives that we set at Bell. As we look to do that here at the enterprise as well, I know every, like I said earlier at the beginning, each of our businesses have their unique strategies and challenges. But I think as an IT organization, when we talk about the future of IT, and we talk about things like uh, providing a more ship left user experience where we have users that have less reliance on a help desk and more reliance on tools like the generative AI to help them with their, their daily questions or are shaping, you know, the, the genie's out of the bottle right now with this generative AI. So now the challenge is uh, for, for folks like myself and technology leaders is how do we shape the future of our organizations to work and coexist and 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 leverage the capability and you know well beyond my time in this role fascinating and I, i'd love to go a little bit deeper into one of the topics or at least one of the topics that you covered uh, the factory of the future and the digital twin of the factory of the future the the ways in which you're thinking about the the creative use of of digital twins you talked about product factory floor and processes can you talk a little bit yeah. about uh bringing that to life and the advantages of doing so there's a lot of opportunity in the life cycle management of a product to 
have that physical and virtual world sort of emulate itself and to constantly provide feedback to each other throughout a life cycle. So whether that's in the design engineering, where you see a lot of simulation around design engineering to mitigate risk, to accelerate design life cycles, and largely to, to get through um, mitigating also the cost of a design life cycle by simulating things that you wouldn't necessarily have to do in a physical world if you have the right models, the right simulation algorithms and so forth, and take that further to design for manufacturability, understanding how your factory flow assembly, pre-assembly, final assembly flows should flow through your factory, including um, you know, ultimately understanding what, what each of your machines are doing in that connected floor and having a virtual version of that that's informed by your actual process tack time. And take that even through the sustainment life cycle. So there are a lot of folks that provide sort of a vision for model-based systems engineering, and you can get into this really big, you know, it's almost unexplainable or unachievable, but I think it's very, very realistic to have this virtual and physical world of your product and to be able to provide that informing feedback throughout that and simulate every life cycle state of that product. And you've also spoken in our past conversations about the sanctity of the connected customer, connected products, connected business. Talk a bit more about how that's brought to life. What what are some of the uh, the the important ingredients in order to 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 bring like bring that to life? This is an area that I'm very passionate about, and I, I certainly think that one of the undertapped areas of opportunity are the 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 value added services that can be achieved through the monetization of data. And not just the direct monetization or the resale monetization of data, but the 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 opportunities that understanding how that um, data of your product um, or how the the data serves a as a value added service for a customer of our user of that product. The some some good examples if if you take some of our. Uh, golf car experiences. EasyGo is a very well-known brand. If you go play, if you're a golfer and you happen to go to a golf course and you sit and ride in the EasyGo experience, and you have the the GPS monitor that kind of shows you the the course layout and, and connects you to a, a broader experience in your own as a player on the course, and you're maybe connecting to your handicap and your app and everything, and connecting your 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 Bluetooth device and but. As a, an owner-operator of that fleet at the golf course, that's also informing them on how effective those the battery life is performing and how effective are those assets being used on the golf course. Do they need fewer assets? Do they need more assets? Are they maximizing their the life cycle of their asset as well? So, and then as you know, us as a, an OEM of that particular golf car, it's informing us on life expectancy of battery and, and warranty uh, configurations and um, better engineering opportunities and so forth and, and understanding what are our customers looking for in an experience. So I, I, I certainly think that, you know, today we, we see it a, a lot in our connected, uh, almost connected everything environment that even my refrigerator at home is telling me, you know, you know, you know things that I normally would have never gotten out of a refrigerator. And it's it's just the the sky's the limit, I think, when it comes to opportunities to drive. So when it comes to you know the the broader strategy, when I looked at it, you know, for example, um, 
the the whole connected customer, connected product, connected business. It goes back to that concept of a model-based engine enterprise where you're informing all three aspects of that product, process, business, uh, uh, product, customer, business, and business really is process at the end of the day uh, on how to continue to provide the most optimal and the most um, uh, value-added experience and most cost-effective and, and profitable experience from, from a business perspective as well. I wanted to also ask you, as somebody who's recently seen your way through from being noted as a successor to the Global Chief Information Officer, and then in fact, uh, ascended to the post, the role that succession planning plays at Textron, again, yours is an interesting experience, which I I, I take to be uh, not unique at all uh, in terms of leaders grown through the organization, experience leavened across the, the various businesses before taking on global or corporate roles like the one that you have. I talk a bit about how uh, the talent development and succession planning is managed at a company like Textron, please. Very good question. And, and succession plan talent management across the Textron organization is something that's a very, it's a very an intentional process that we spend a lot of time on as leaders. We, uh, it's, uh, you know, we, we expect as leaders uh, at least once or twice a year to have a talent management review with our senior leaders. We do it at a function level. We do it at a business line level. And I, I just finished one last week, in fact, uh, to talk about filling the void of the talent succession pipeline after my ascension into this role and the domino effects that it created in building future CIOs, not only at our divisional level, but at the enterprise level. And so that was a, that's a very intentional exercise that we do that that's really focused on the entire life of talent through through our process. It really starts with our having a very strong internship that brings in you know the early career professionals or college students to build them uh, uh, build their exposure to our our organization, pass them on to the uh, early career opportunities, and then develop them from within and promote from within to build the future leaders. Within a, with a, a deep focus on succession planning, with a deep focus on understanding strengths and weaknesses. My experience at Textron, um, I actually joined Textron as a program manager and never at that time had considered CIO as a career opportunity. I had a, uh, another aspect of our talent management, strong mentorship. I had a strong mentor that gave me some, some feedback that thought that I had the potential but also recognize that there were some experiences that I need to have. So my moves across Textron were very intentional to build the experiences that I needed to have this role. And it's it's something that we spend a lot of time thinking about. Uh, we spend a lot of time uh, sometimes even uh, having those conversations with people to move into an area of less comfort for them to build some of the skills that they need to be able to, to be prepared for roles like this in the future. Fantastic, and and uh, what a way to to uh, to plan for the future and ensure that as as people take on consequential roles like your own, that they fully understand the business and 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 for, for that matter the culture of the organization before doing so. Thank you so much for that description. I, I wanted to also ask you what trends excite you as you look to the future. We certainly have talked about perhaps the most exciting of them, uh, generative artificial intelligence. Are there others? That uh, that come to mind, Todd, as you think about the future, you know, you're certainly hitting one right now that's exciting to me a lot. 
you know, it's kind of hard to, to top that excitement right now. It's, it's so so early, but I, I I do think that having spent a lot of my career in IT and just seen the level of complexity it's taken to adopt a new technology 10, 15, 20 years ago versus how quickly applications are becoming almost disposable. You know, think how quickly we move from one iPhone to the next or uh, one technology to the next. It's both interesting and, and quite frankly, a little daunting to think about how uh, a user expectation is almost at the point where they expect more of a composable type of or disposable type of application experience where I'm done with this, I'm ready to move on to the next one. Whether that's a trend or not, I think it's definitely a, a direction that we need to start thinking about. You know, a lot of us have gone through the early, some of the earlier pre-cloud life cycles of system implementations. And you see the now kind of the post-born cloud architectures, and you're trying to bridge that gap in, in modernizing your, your legacy applications and so forth. There's this challenge that fundamentally, that's a, it's a redo. It's not a, you know, necessarily a straight path upgrade. So those trends are, you know, things that I think once we get through that hump, the, the trend of, you know, having a more composable architecture with data as a product that's really not necessarily just around go out and building these big, massive data warehouses and so forth, but seeing data really drive the discussion between applications and not necessarily the application itself. Data is a product and this data product sits universally across a series of composable apps in an ecosystem. And I think that's something that I'm seeing that certainly changes the game when it comes to how we take advantage of APIs in the future and, and change our, our system landscapes. Well reasoned. I appreciate, uh, appreciate that perspective. Uh, Todd, I also wanted to ask you uh, now nearly half a year into your current post, um, as you reflect upon your journey to it, uh, what have been some of the difference makers for you along the way? Uh, surely you've just described one of the important factors, which is uh, the, the talent management and succession planning that that you you took advantage of, uh, you know, by virtue, of course, of your your skills and having earned it. But I, I wonder what else has been kind of a secret to your success on the pathway up to a global chief information officer role like the one you currently have. I think uh, it's important. I'm actually I'm actually by by degree not a technology major but a business major. So I I often tell people my title is. Um, VP and CIO, it's VP first because I'm a business leader and CIO second because I'm a technology leader. And I think that's important in in the role of a CIO. You can't just be the one always sitting there talking about IT as the agenda. You have to really understand how you're making a difference on the strategy of the business and outcomes. Outcomes matter. I find, and maybe I'm different than some of my peers in, in industry, when I'm in the leader discussions, I'm not there to talk about IT metrics. I'm there to talk about really how we're moving the needle on delivering more aircraft faster, how we're changing the, uh, the efficiency of executing our uh, integrated supply chain operations. And that's the discussion. And, and the technology is ultimately a how we get there and how we do that. And we need to be good stewards of the use of that technology and not just go chase technology for the sake of technology. I think a, a, another key piece of that is is having that business acumen sense to be able to understand the the numbers and uh, understanding because we, we get a lot of pressure and you know I don't think I know a CIO that's told me I have an unlimited budget. 
and uh, I think all of us are are subject to you know cost pressure and so forth. But it's really a value discussion that we need to be having, and and continue to to drive that level of discussion around the opportunities. It is a good time to be a CIO right now. I often tell friends, and they ask about you know what what do I like about the role. It's it's a great time to be a CIO because I think most organizations realize that technology is now a key enabler and it's growing. And certainly part of that success is being able to not not necessarily just focus on technology for the sake of technology, but really really having a business mind around how we execute and operate technology and, and, and challenge certain norms as well. That's really emblematic of the, uh, the increasing level of prominence of the technology organization to rightfully stand besides all other business functions. And, and I can certainly understand why that business background has served you so well, Todd. Thank you for that reflection. And thank you, uh, Todd Cackley, more generally speaking, for a dynamic conversation reflective of uh, what sounds like a very interesting uh, period in your career and some very interesting areas in which you and the team are focused to continue to digitize the business and, and find new pathways to value with technology. Uh, really appreciate the, the, the terrific conversation. I enjoyed it as well. Thank you for the time.